Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, <laughs> man, do you have anything you want me to hit? Because I'm going to kind of just run through a few of your things. To hit? What? Uh, you mean it to uh, promote? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, to make to 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 identify you. Yeah, is there something you as, a, there as, a, as an auteur? <laughs> okay, what would what would be on my uh, what would be on my imagistic tombstone, if you will? <laughs> yeah, I'd say it would probably be. Why do I think about? It? I was just actually at Forest Lawn, uh, ironically, uh, the director of Pearl Jam's Jeremy. And Arlington Road and a few a girls in their summer clothes. If we're going down, there you go. And some te- blind spot and cold case. Um, so so for, the, yeah. for the for those of you who aren't from, first, TV, actually, are we, from TV shows, oh, oh, oh. these are some <laughs> of these are music was, videos, some of these are TV shows, some of these are feature. This films. is well, the whole yes. point. I was, I was, I didn't realize we were. Yeah, because we do this. You too. always say you don't know where. No, but I actually we're. didn't know where. Oh. Well, he gets to edit it, so he gets to cut himself yeah. out if he doesn't. Um, stupid. Um, Arlington Road was was uh, my my first sort of real Hollywood agent, the guy who found me when I was uh, stuck in the street to video world. His name's Matt Pedrosian, but he represented sure. Aaron Kruger, Absolutely. Who, who sold that script. And yeah, no, I was like, and uh, Aaron Kruger used to drive around in a little purple gremlin. He was an assistant to somebody over at Fox. Everything goes back to Joe. And Peter <laughs> and Peter Samuelson was on the Nichols Fellowship mm. judging committee. And in those days, you could be a judge and scoop up all the scripts, which you can't do anymore. Uh, I understand. Yeah, so but nobody that was, wants to be a judge. Yeah, I guess not. Um, but that was sort of my, my for where you first sort of like seriously crossed my radar. And that's such a great film. But yeah, as you said, we're just... I was asking Mark, like, if there's anything specific you want me to hit, and he's running through them. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. I would say that thing that um, uh, really is kind of like most most infuriating to uh, the rest of us in this business. You're you're that actual th- you're an actual working director. You're like, <laughs> well, I think if I probably work in more mediums than most people uh-huh. on, a, on a regular uh, basis. Videos, TV, you, commercials, you're just about the Quibi. You did that. commercials, and um, I think I've always done that, and yeah. I think probably I know. Spike Jones plays around a lot with different forms and right. stuff like that. But I've always done it. Uh, I had done a lot of videos and commercials and documentary things before I did a movie. And was always like, you know, all it takes, I tell people, say, well, you know, you can be really successful and live in New York and all it takes is move to Hollywood for people to tell you that you're shit. You know what I mean? And like <laughs> to really get like fucking like hit in the head and test yourself and then work your way through economic collapse and some life calamities that take you sideways. And when you haven't made a movie in eight years, people are like, where did he go? And as um, this great, after Arlington Road, Mothman Prophecy, 99 and 2002, 
My wife passed away in 2004. So suddenly you don't make a movie for four years and it's 2007. And that's a long time, you know, at that point, oh, five in rehab, huh? <laughs> I was in prep on a Harrison Ford movie, Harrison Ford movie that came out called Firewall at the time, but it was a oh, very, yeah. it was a very interesting noirish kind of thing called The Wrong Element at the time. Then they changed the title on all of Harrison's dopey ideas, where he wants to like go <laughs> fix shit with the fax machine. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're gonna shit. now. He's not coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you have to earn. You had to earn his respect. Point being, I think that you're on like different levels. And at that point, if you think, Oh, I want to be a Hollywood guy. Right. Yeah. And then something doesn't go and a remake of the orphanage for Guillermo Arturo doesn't happen. And the economic collapse happens next, you know, it's, you've made a couple little indies that don't work critically or commercially. And you're like, shit, it's 10 years and people whole new breed of people, the block world of blockbusters emerges and I was never grooming myself to do a Marvel movie. That's not my, right. I don't, well, I wasn't. Who would have known to? I wasn't weaned on those. <clears throat> but before you know it, you want to stay in some sort of game. And you're like, great, do some TV, keep doing the commercials. But then commercial business changes. That collapses. Every kid with the 5D is a director. And next thing you know, you, you're in your mid-50s. But it doesn't matter for me. Right now, I shoot stuff so cheap. I know it will look good. Go do a little 30-minute short film for 7000 bucks in two days. Two Alexa minis, Alfie Allen, a girl from Riverdale. Doesn't, you, know, you just have to design these things around what you have. Right. Then you go make a big pilot, and it's $10 million pilot, and New York Teamsters, and they're sitting on their ass, and they move slow. And you're like, you're talking to a guy like Rudd Simmons, who's the fine producer, done a lot of indie stuff. You're like, why are we moving so slow? Why is this? So, you know, it's the size of the trucks. You look at the transportation item on the budget, on the top line. You're like, let's get that down. So I think I work a lot because I like to shoot, but I also like don't want to, like, you know, like I said in my email to you, Hollywood doesn't give a shit about me, which is fine. You know, that boat sailed. So now I just want to keep making stuff and put enough money in the bank for my kid to go to college. And you leave behind a body of work for better or for worse. You know, I mean, frankly, that's kind <laughs> Who of can my, argue with it. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. Right? yeah. And all, all you got is your work and your friendships and your relationships. Yeah. So, you yeah. Know, no, it's interesting how many. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I sit here. It's like I can't tell you how many projects I've worked on for, you know, a year. And, you know, and you're working on some other thing at the same time as a writer, at least. But, you know, and then just, and then the, 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 we were talking to Corman. Roger Corman came on, uh, uh, show a, a couple months ago, and and he said something really interesting. Just not interesting, true about you know how how the amount of time it takes to make a deal now. He can go off and just shoot a couple of movies in that period. Everything, sure, of course, it's all slowed down. <sighs> the deal making process is well, so you know this is a lot of money. Yeah, there's a lot of things on the line, and you certainly don't want to rush in right to something that might turn out to be a money loser. Yeah. So you have to take yourself a little time. And so yeah. it helps if you can do something in, you know, in the interim, like mow lawns, or, you know. Uh, go to college, get yeah, a law degree. Start a religion. Something that. Something yeah, I started a podcast studio at the time. I mean, I was, you know. I stupidly or bravely made my last movie and I just said, I'm going to make this movie. I had done the Shirley MacLaine thing called The Last Word. We were finishing in April. I said, I want to make another movie this year. I want to pick that period of time between Thanksgiving and Christmas when nobody's working. 
at an 18-day shoot. I hired the writer in April. We made the deal in three days. Pretty, you know, kid, a guy named Alex Ross Perry. We got all the people. Within a week, he was in. Six weeks later, he delivered it, and we got it. Uh, Vicky Thomas to cast it. Oh, love and we, within three days we got John Hamm and Ellen Burstyn and Catherine Keener. Meanwhile, can't get it financed. We just keep going. You're like, right? And you realize you don't need to spend a lot of money to have a line producer, a location guy. You don't need to spend a lot, and you keep going. So my producer was like, "All right, you're up to about forty k. You're up to seventy k. Keep trying to sell it. Get some more names in it. And before you know it, you're up to maybe like hundred and fifty. Before you have to really start spending some money." So we had these budget levels of like we had one at four fifty, seven, and nine, depending who was going to be in it, depending on what we could sell. But like, and at that point, my brother's in real estate in Baltimore, so so basically you're loaning, you're looking for somebody to finance it, right? But they're basically loaning you the money. You're gonna if you get enough of these names that you'll sell it to somebody, right? So I asked my friend who's a sales guy. I said, "How badly can I get burned if I just loan my like? How badly?" He goes. If you can get two more decent names, you'll break even. It might take you two years, but you'll break even. And that's what happened. So you got to make the movie. Nobody told you what to do. Right. Which is another conversation about I think it's actually good to not have Final Cut. I think it's actually good to have somebody that can keep you. I'm personally a better filmmaker having somebody leaning on me that has a little more commercial or narrative oh, instincts than me. Sure. I just went through that on the surprising on this Quibi thing for even though it's a phone, it's still a movie. You're still making it as a two yeah. hour movie. Yeah. It's broken into chapters. And it was like this producer named Carrie Granite. And I said, oh, sure. I have to thank you. We butted heads like motherfuckers, but I thanked him at the end. I said, You got the better version of me in this at the end of the day. You know, we were talking about in with the composer, we were talking about theme. I was like, you don't have to beat the theme over people's heads. The composer, to his credit, really heard my understanding of, instead of like, oh, it sounds like a weird David Lynch movie. It's like, come on, let's have a better aesthetic discussion than just being derisive like that. But he had to hear both of us, and he crushed it. You know what I mean? So that was a good creative experience, and that's fine, because in a commercial thing where you're, you're getting it's an assignment, right. it better work. You better listen to those people. You know, because that's how you get to come back in that world. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's all just changing so fast that like you, you got to be open to it. And never just remain humble and never. Although be. I was saying, I was saying. By the way, our guest is Mark Pellington. For anyone who doesn't know, oh, this they, they know they that know. guy. I was just saying. Imagine calling your you know twenty five year old self. 25-year-old self up uh, from today, calling him in the past and going, uh, Don't do it. I can't talk. I'm on a podcast. <laughs> moved from oh, well, the, yeah. in New York. I'm just saying I'm, I'm talking on a podcast about doing a quibby in Latvia and how much <laughs> yeah. of that would that kid understand. <laughs> but, but you know what? Well, when nobody – actually, this is the first movie in the last six years. I've shot three movies in the last five years, and I shot them all here. Because if you just like design, design it, around that way and people are just leaving in droves and it's very hard to get somebody to uh you know shoot well, people here. like to work here Act people like love to, work to. Here. Yeah, they love it it's work, work my friend good. is writing something i'm just writing something now with this guy it's like that i think you could get somebody to be in again that multi-budget right. tier and you know what i can well you i mean if you're not going to 
like producing. I like producing. I don't want to do the deliverables, which are a pain in the ass, right? But if you don't generate it yourself, like if you don't get it off the ground yourself, because nobody's knocking on the door saying, you know, making me offers, right? So, I mean, once that boat sailed, so you got to generate your own stuff, right? So unless you're sitting there, I mean, even Soderbergh goes to that. I saw him like six months ago. It's like, same shit. But he can call Merrill and say, hey, you want to do this thing? You know what I mean? There's yeah. guys like that, but everybody's struggling. We have a mutual friend, and I see him about once every 10 years, and I had a conversation with Jim Cameron while he was in post on Avatar, which, you know, if people forget, he made after he made Titanic, which was, that did all right, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he was just talking about the 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 difficulties he was dealing with in the studio and getting the money he needed. I'm sitting there going, what are you, are you James Cameron has to post Titanic has to like go hat in hand to the studio to get a few extra pennies. Well, I won't be able to go to that studio anymore. Uh, yes. Well, yes. Who? No one can. But I mean, I mean, but, it's changed. I mean, okay. Yeah. So every, my friend, uh, do you know Steve Moscow? He runs, uh, he used to run Sony TV, he runs Village Roadshow now. And he was like, he just, he said, the next 18 months are really going to, the determining factor. I mean, how these streamers do oh. rise of streamers, and I mean, it's some of them are going to fail, some of them are going to fall on their ass, and there's going to have to be a, a correction to that. I don't know. I'm I'm not in the tent pole business. I've never made one. I don't. You know, great. I'm sure John Favreau is awesome. He's a great filmmaker. You know, we were talking about the thing, big ones and small ones. Yeah. Go make Chef. Go make these other ones. I don't know. Like, if you're in the uh, 99% of us, you know, like all of us, what do you do? You just scrap you, along. You keep, you keep slogging. Or you go on the movies that made me. Yes. Oh, that'll take which up we're an gonna, hour. We're going to cut all this because we never <laughs> talk to our guests about their work. Yeah. So you've, you've broken every rule yeah, of our right. very, of our rigid, rigid guidelines, Mark. Um, no, but you're, uh, uh, you're going to come, you want to talk about some of your favorite filmmakers, just trying to walk us through, uh, well, like my, who made you who you are. My favorite Bergman film is Honeymoon in Vegas. <laughs> I'm not going to lie and tell you that I'm some, some like, you know, which I just <laughs> saw recently uh, again and like laugh my ass off. Really? Oh, okay. I thought I'm that, I'm, I'm, uh, but that I, doesn't influence me. Is that in the criterion box set? I haven't gotten to that one. It's yet. in the Andrew I'm, Burton. Uh, I, I, I was pulling the thread. Oh, I was oh, when I, I sent you the I'm first gonna, list of, okay, the people I liked. I liked what you said. <laughs> Go deeper, more obscure. Well, um, or yes, give us, because what we want to do is we want to sort of like, uh, uh, I guess the, the mandate is to, um, you know, there are some people listening to the show who haven't seen every movie ever made, and we want to try to point them to stuff that they might not. Well, be. part of the value of the show, as we hear back from our listeners, Listener. is that we <laughs> acquaint them with movies that they uh, yes. are, don't know about. Go watch Demon Lover, Francois Ozon. You know, oh, it's, it's just like, like, but I only got into him like a year ago. I had seen Under the Sand. I was like, it was like about grief, but then I was like, just the variety of movies that he makes. And how prolific he is. You know, it's like the guys making movies all the time. Like, okay, what's up with the French? They just must have, like, a great thing, or they support it more, you know? So, like, I love getting turned on to new people all the time, you know, and discovering people late. So I discovered Cassavetes early in my life, watched everything probably within a one-month period. And that stuff just 
influences you in a way that like it tell it gives you permission to say keep going when you see another when you see an artist do something you're like god i just want to do it like that it frees you up whether you're like wow i could Mulholland Drive is cool or Under the Skin is great. Jonathan Glazer, one of them, huge influence on me in that, like, you got to have some plot, some degree of plot. Go watch The Great Beauty. Go watch Under the Skin. Some So you can hang abstract themes in a story. Now, my brain, if I wrote it myself, it would be all just too abstract. It would be more right. Jodorowsky kind of thing, right? Okay, it's a pretty weird art movie, but if you have enough of a story, and I think that's why people are like, oh, what's the IP? Is it on a novel? Find an old novel that maybe has got some of these things. But I'm constantly, I was I didn't grow up as a cineast, as a cinephile. Like, oh, I watched Blondie and Dagwood movies with my father on a Sunday morning, and my mother took us to double features and would fall asleep. But back then, you'd go see... She'd go see some movies she wanted to see, and then Slapshot would be on after it, or oh. Network, or Straw Dogs. So I'm 14 years old yes. seeing Straw Dogs, and oh shit! I mean, I shouldn't be seeing that at like 13 <laughs> or 14. This shit was blowing my mind. So I was like, grew up as a kid in water, a post in Watergate era. So I liked realism. I liked the pawnbroker. I loved early Sidney Lumet movies because those were on on TV. So I was never played Dungeons and Dragons and any of that crap. I hated Jethro Tull. So I hated fantasy. <laughs> I never saw Star Wars. I just didn't. I didn't prescribe really to it. Have you? Have you? Uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I did. I'm not one of those. I, I don't know. You know, it's fun. Did you ever get around to it? Or I'm, no? Because that's fantastic. No. Uh, I like The Exorcist because that, that is such a touchstone for the universe at this point. Well, it's also in the business. That's a huge touchstone. Well, yeah, that too. That too. I love Jaws. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm if still. Ja, if I'm ja, still. If Jodorowsky was around, he'd be doing Marvel movies. I, he probably would be. Wouldn't he? he is around. Isn't he around? He's around physically. He's around, he's around physically. Yeah, he's he's around in his 80s. He yeah, work right he's around his 80s. Yes. I actually, but I would go to that. I would actually go to, you know. But I mean, you know better. I mean, like any better than anybody, the, okay, the cycles, right? So you can't go back to those cycles. So we can lament the 70s and lament these these times but what would we say in 15 years from now like oh boy those were the times you could just go i, I don't know there's there's no answer the, the time marches on time marches on and it better be on the page those are just yeah. truisms <laughs> do, like, do you find since we're talking about because i i you know i got here in the 80s and i remember just this palpable sense and i i still you know the 70s for me are are it but there was this palpable sense that that everything was crashing and burning and the movies were all just turning into dopey kids movies and dumb IP and blah, blah, blah. And but I, in the seventies, there's also a big end of the world vibe. Uh, well, it, it, a last days of man on earth vibe. Yeah. I mean, there was a whole thing about a lot of people believe this is the end times and here's the, Oh no, I was talking, I meant the quality that. of the film. I was just well, like, Oh, I'm talking movies. about, uh, but now I look back in the eighties and it's like, it's a pretty amazing decade. It just didn't feel like, it. I didn't even think about movies till, <laughs> Till the 90s, because I was cutting my teeth in videos and promos and documentaries and art pieces and collages in New York. So it was mm. like, I never did a short. I remember my friend Ted Hope, a producer, he goes, you just need to make a short. You get two people talking, get the basics of the film grammar. And so I think when I did my first movie in 96, I was like completely confused about screen direction and, you know, but. You got to learn. You got to yeah. learn that first. 
that first time. But who were, who were like, do you remember the first time, like a movie just set you on fire that made you, you know, with, with the well, possibility. Really, like I said, the Straw Dogs and those movies at Network, which then would, it just said, wow, this is, this is not my Blondie and Dagwood. This isn't the movies that my friends go, this isn't the world's greatest athlete or something that at age 11 you go to at kids' birthday parties. These aren't right. the things that are playing in the, the malls or the, the shopping centers in Baltimore. I was like, what is this? Like, this is weird and, and beautiful and great. So even then, let's say all the, what year was all the president's men? 79 to me. No, it's early Atlanta. Is it I thought it was 76. 77? Right. 76. Yeah. When's the, I'm. And Jaws. Well, was post Watergate. 75. <laughs> because, yeah, Jaws is 75. And right. Network is 76. Those yeah, were too yep. like, okay. Wow. Again, still way, I was way more into music and journalism. Mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't go to the movies that much. So I didn't develop any interest in any visuals till I moved to New York. And I was sitting in edit rooms be like, oh, what's that button do? So it would be like going to see a movie like Liquid Sky. Oh, wow. In yeah. 1983. Yeah. Um, John, uh, some John Sales, or a brother from another planet, City of Hope. Like those were the things early, like Jonathan Demi was, a, and I got to meet Jonathan because his um, nephew Teddy was my was my PA at MTV. Mm. So I, I really loved Jonathan's movies. Like that was like a, a big thing. But you'd see Stop Making Sense, and then we'd go meet with Spalding Gray and Maybe do something with him. So it was never, it was never narrative-driven, plot-driven narratives were never my, like, oh my god, that's what I'm dying to make, you know. And so you fall into it. You make some of them. You like it. I like parts of that. I like working with actors, TV. But after I do something like that, I want to go do something more experimental and weirder and more fluid after that. And I just think there's a. I just finished the 70 minute dance film and in the description i say well hollywood told me i can't make a movie about grief and i realized it was just they told me i can't make a certain movie about grief maybe dance is a better platform to express that feeling because just again narrative linear right. narrative is only one aspect but it seems like you were talking earlier about having somebody above you sort of cracking the whip a little bit and reining you in, don't you? It, Which it's, is good. Yeah, no, but I think sort of one of the interesting things is, is, as you say, it's like Hollywood says you can't make a movie about this, so you have to, it creates a restriction whereby you have to figure out another way to make that movie. You have to figure yeah. out another way to express yourself, and I and I like, I, I, I like to think that, again, this kind of like life detour uh, took me sideways, and I, and I hope that Wow, we made eight movies. People haven't seen a lot of them. Those are all good experiences. So I, I hope that my best films are ahead of me. You know what I mean? I hope right. that it's like that I can reach that promise of like, okay, and and put them out there. So what I've learned about storytelling, character, so so many nudges and can get the best out of me. And that perfect example, that Quibi thing. You know, Quibi's a, a business. They wanted the big deals. They wanted like the hot shit people. They didn't want me to do it. They wanted somebody else to do it. And the producer and the writer fought for me. And I delivered for him. Right? So it's like, as an assignment, if you're going to play in that playground of commerce and it's only just endlessly, horribly, just endlessly about money now, I mean, to a nauseating degree, where that that's that's how we're judging these things, 
how much money it made or the quantity, the quantification, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. Like, it just, I just like Soderbergh's a hero of mine. There's people that are just like, that inspire me that are prolific. And it's like, I just want to keep, keep doing that. You know what I mean? And I already, if I heard the word esoteric one more time from my manager last year, I was like, I had to go look it up. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. I mean, but you do what you do. You do what you do. Right. You got your, your thing. So you have your fans and, you know, I'm doing this class. This class from an English university has been studying this like weird 50 minute music film I made four years ago. Like, I'm going to do a Skype thing with them. That's fun. It's fun to give back and say, yeah, here, you can think about stories this way. They don't all have to, like, you don't have to use dialogue. No offense to screenwriter, great screenwriter. Well, we don't just write dialogue. No, he writes the stuff that doesn't get on the yeah, screen. Yeah, the stuff no. in between. Or the- do, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, if just. I don't know. Yeah. Yes. Everybody's different. And you read a script and you're like, great. Why do I want to do this? Why do I want to inhabit this? Does it speak to me? You know, when you're like, when you decide to do something, you just can't do something lightly. Even a TV pilot. I just can't take something. It's got to click on something. If it doesn't speak to you, it isn't going to speak to you. You're not going to speak to it. And challenges are like, go do. That's why I did those Star Trek things. Like, I'm. Not a sci-fi person at all. Alex Kurtzman was a big fan of a movie I did, Mothman Prophecies. And I was like, he goes, do you want to come do one of these things? One Michael Chabon had wrote, a little 12-minute thing. Then the other one was like an eight-minute silent, no dialogue, a totally silent story. I said, great. And I like Alex a lot, and it was nice to do something. I had some toys and tools, Mm -hmm. you know, where you weren't just like, gun to your head, let's go, let's go, let's go. Which is, but you got mind shooting like that. But like you can't, he's, that gets a little frustrating. You know, the running gun all the time. I've been, I've been, I've been thinking all day about because uh, uh, it is for yeah. You have to you have to connect on some level. I had, I had several years back. I got approached about writing uh, Snowpiercer for uh, who's the guy who directed that one? Oh, that kind of weird hack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know whatever happened to that guy. Um, but you know, I was a huge fan of Bong Joon Ho's films. And I was like, oh, my fucking God. Yeah. And I was like, read the graphic novel. And I just couldn't. There's something about a thing where the metaphor, where there's no effort made to make the metaphor adhere to any kind of logic. So it didn't connect with you. And it just didn't. And which I'm just means, sitting there going. when you say, I'm not the right guy. Yeah. Right? And I did. And it not killed right me because I would have killed to work with him. And they, the film they made entertained the living shit out of me. I think it's brilliant. I, I. And and I was just like, and I watched the film, I'm like I, I couldn't have written that, but it's yeah. ugh. Who wrote ugh. it? Uh, Bong wrote it with Director Bong wrote it with another. Um, they did, I believe, it was a playwright here. I'm I'm, I'm looking it up. I'm cheating. Um, I was a, a playwright named Kelly Masterson. Um, right. Wrote it with Bong, Director Bong. Back when I was actually getting offers, I used to, I used to get offered pictures like the Flintstones, and. Uh, you I passed on the. Fl- I didn't. Like, I didn't. I had. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I passed on Flintstones three. I, I, I was very flattered to be offered it, but I said I, I'm not the right guy to make this picture. I don't really care for the Flintstones. To me, it's just a rip off of the You're Honeymooners, and I never liked it. So you should get a guy who's got Flintstones soap in his in his bathtub yeah, or vitamins. And 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 they did. They found a guy who was a huge Flintstones fan, and they made the movie and made Ryan a lot of money. Levance. Everybody was happy. Right, was that his name? Yeah. But don't you? There's there's some value too in coming into that not being a fan where you can bring a. Well, yeah, but you but have I to just, still have a connection. No, you have to have a connection. And, yeah. and I, I had just worked with John Goodman, and I liked him. I'd love to work with him again, yeah. but not 
not wearing loincloths. And, you know, I, I, it just didn't. And, yeah, and, I, and it, it's, it's the art direction is, you know, early, uh, early, early. It, I, I just, feel like you got more out of a good minute matinee. <laughs> well, I think that was that was that was previous, but no, there are other things. And there was the first the, the Batman movie. I no, I'm saying out. I think he, I think you got more out of him in Batman than they got out of him. I'm not sure how you get Batman more out of him in Flintstones. Well, I was supposed to do the right after Gromans was a big hit. They said, "Oh, let's have him do Batman," because Ivan Reitman had walked off it, and they were already the make of him Tom Mankiewicz script. And uh, say John Mankiewicz, Tom Tom, Tom. Mankiewicz, and uh, and it was very Bondian, uh, and it was it was fine, but I was really excited about the Joker. Right. He was what I, I was interested yeah. in. I had John Lithgow. I was going to have him play the Joker and it was going to be great. And then one night I woke up in the middle of the night and I said, I can't do this. I'm the wrong guy. I don't believe in Batman. And so I went to uh -huh. the studio and I told them that I didn't believe in Batman. And they practically called out, you know, the, the people with nets to take me away. He said, you realize what you're doing? You realize what a big franchise this is? And I said, yeah, but if I, if, if you're not going to like it and I'm not going to like it, then we're going to really be in big trouble. So I don't think I'm the right guy to do it. And, and I wasn't. Yeah. As it turned out, and they didn't make that version of the picture. They went off, and you know, Tim made his own version. It was different. Oh God! I, yeah, I got approached vigorously about the first. Aaron Kruger, speaking of the first Transformers film, I'm like I don't. The logic then, things have changed. Was I had adapted a movie based on a graphic novel? Therefore, you should go to him for your but all your the cartoon you're the graphic novel guy. I'm a graphic novel, novel cartoon specialist. guy. So obviously, I don't want to do Transformers. I just, I'm not, there's no point in going to that. I have no connection to that. And my agent went, oh, God. And then two days later, I called him up and I said, hey, I'm taking 1500 bucks to write a 10-minute Batman cartoon, and which he was very supportive of. But uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I, I, uh, 150 bucks in it for Yeah, you. that's that's why Aaron Kruger owns a small island. And uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're actually, and I'm, I'm here doing podcasts. <laughs> we're actually trying to develop Arlington Road as a TV thing. Right now, it's a. It's just like, hey, what would that idea be now? Mm. We're sitting there with Village Roadshow and talking about. It. I said, Oh, in this world, call Aaron. Yes, Aaron. How would you like to revisit that world? Adapt that world now. Just but see, that's that the title. whole thing with remakes. It seems to me that there's. That I'm not against remakes because some of the people's most beloved movies are actually remakes of other movies. But uh, if if you can't bring something from one era into another and 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 find a new way to interpret it. And to, to like when 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 uh, when Warren Beatty and Buck Henry made Heaven Can Wait, yes. Out of <laughs> Here Comes Mr. Jordan, mm -hmm. which is a perfectly good movie from right. the 1940s, uh, and they updated it. They changed the sport from boxing to football. They made a, a it's a terrific remake. You know, mm -hmm. it's a really great remake, and yeah. it's and the original is still great too. Yep. But it's like you can you can actually have that. But but the the trend is to let's let's just make the same movie over with different people in it. Let's do Psycho, like yeah. like uh, like Gus Van Sant's version, no, which is shot for shot like the same. An eight movie. hour, like like Jack Ryan. Do you watch? Have you seen the Jack Ryan show? Uh, the on Amazon. I don't. I don't. See I have not seen. It. It. I, I I love the ones that Harrison was. I mean, I like that whole franchise. Yeah. And now yeah, I've enjoyed two seasons because it's basically an eight hour movie. There's a much huge, which you can now rolling arc. Yeah. You know, really big, big, big conspiracy. A big. You know, Krasinski's not Harrison Ford, but that's fine. Like he's a lot of people have played or, that. Or guy. Alec Baldwin. Or Baldwin. That's that's or, I, Nick, I, or Nick Cage. That is why did Nick Cage play? Uh, no, but he's got his own island and we're always, oh, 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 we haven't sorry, talked no, about Mandy yet. So word, yes, we're 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 on topic here. <laughs> give me give me another filmmaker, Mark. Come on. Tell me, tell me uh someone who sets you on fire, someone who who one of your 
I'd probably across the board, I would say Paul Thomas Anderson movies have left. I've left the theater more energized and blown away and inspired four times. And I've seen them all in the theater. Now, the only one I didn't see in the theater was um, Phantom Thread. And it left me and I saw it on at home. And I didn't know was that because I watched it at home or because I don't know. Like, but literally Magnolia, Boogie Nights, The Master, and There Will Be Blood. Just left like, yes, keep on your path, do the thing. No one would ever put me in anywhere in comparison to him or anybody. But just it inspired me to the 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 humanity that he you know the mastery filmmaking wise the the the, the emotional depth of the characters mm-hmm. the range of the tonal command i loved i just fucking loved it i loved it loved it i was like where i was like moved and especially especially magnolia especially where like you know long time ago right yeah so well, more and more but not fan last of year. The Mustang did that for me. The Mustang's a good picture. Oh, Mustang's great. Perfect, yeah. Where I left, I was like, "Wow!" Now part of it was Jed Kurzel's score and the cinematography. Just like I find myself not moved by as many films as I would hope to. I mean, because Joe, you're not a Phantom Thread guy either. Right? Well, I just thought it was a long episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. <laughs> I, I, I don't, mean, the, the wrap up is, I just didn't find very believable or satisfying. I, for some, I'm kind of hit and miss with him. And the ones I love are, I mean, obviously Boogie Nights, um, but Inherent Vice and, and Phantom Thread were the ones that really knocked me out. And they're both looking at me like, I mean, <laughs> no, no, no. But no, I, and I went kicking and screaming different strokes for different folks. Because I thought, yeah, I know I, you could sort of feel the Paul Thomas Anderson films that are going to call my name. And that didn't seem to be one. And I don't even know how I ended up. And, and I was just like, holy. I, I, I mean, you don't know don't why, know. when. Yeah. What, Nor should what you. What you're looking for. Exactly. Yes. It's just got to hit you. You got it. That's yeah. a relationship between you and the film. Not yeah. even between you and the filmmaker. It's between you and the film. I yeah. keep going and see like i remember meeting early on meeting terry malick and met him through his agent at ca at the time rick hess or rick knew him and met him and my friend hank corwin was cutting new world and and he goes hey come we're gonna go sit with the music editors i spent three hours with him one time and saw him move james horner's cues all over the place with three cues over three different scenes with a music editor and like, hey, move it here, move it there. Like driving the music editor crazy. So I know, well, James said it should go here. He goes, yeah, I understand what James said, but <laughs> here. And the way that like the, the cello comes in when he's like, it's not when you expect it. I mean, that right there was the biggest to this day, the biggest influence of in me seeing the malleab- the malleability of how you can, Yes, where you spot it, but you're spotting on when you're spotting something, it's a different axis to your brain. Like, great. So then the composer's gonna make his piece, but like, well, but and so what? It's not science. It's like move it right. over here. What happens? What happens Maybe it's a good mistake. It. Yeah. I've put cues in before, just move it back 15 seconds and sat back and for three minutes just been like fell off the truck. I mean, like literally, and it's and it's perfect, and just say, Great, that's where it's gonna go. Well, it, it doesn't matter. You're just, it's, you just, you feel something. You have to go by your intuition. So, yeah. 
if you see movies that feel like they're being not made by a system, diving bell and the butterfly, you're just like, fuck, just like the humanity is seeping through that and the artistry is seeping through that. And those are the kind of movies that like inspire me, yeah. you know? But then I could go watch an incredibly simple, beautifully constructed Sidney Lumet movie and be like, that I love because it's simple. And even though I was could never have made anything like that then, now if I put down, I remember on this film I did The Last Word with Philip Baker Hall and Shirley MacLaine, I just did the scene and it worked on the page. They were two masters. They crushed it. And you're like, okay, what, what was difficult about that? I didn't do anything. As a director, <laughs> I just stayed out of the way. Right. And then you can look at your films and see where you're like, oh, yeah, I was probably propping up something where the character was weak on the page or this was a fable, but I was inconsistent in tone. I made three comedy dramas. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not making anymore. I'm not Hal Ashby. I will never be Hal Ashby. <laughs> Hal, it's just like whatever you think that you can do, you realize how difficult that is to really blend those tones. Yeah. You know, the comedian, just like we're like, so you look at the people that do it wonderfully and i'm like okay was that because they're the writer director is that is that because they know that voice then so i feel that and then i go do a pilot that michelle ashford who created masters of sex did right and it was a uh it was a version of cocaine cowboys right but not the violent one it was it was elmore leonard in tone it was more tarantino or elmore leonard i was like that tone i got i understood for whatever it was i could handle that blend of comedy and action and don't even know what the words. It just I I felt more natural giving direction to actors in that movie than another one. So yeah. you know, but you just you have to also know your limitations. Know what you're I think know what you're like um, let somebody else make those. Yeah. So, right? Yeah, I and mean, if you yeah. go write a wouldn't you like to go just write a pure Love story and nothing to do at Me? all. Yeah, no. <laughs> Why? Because so, someone's got to get killed in it. It's it's like I gotta, I gotta. I've I've got my 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 baby, my passion script of all the uh, definite Dennis Lane short story, and it is a great love story in there. But but uh, a lot of shooting as well. It's um, um I'm a I'm a genre guy. <clears throat> it's uh it's got I don't know what was um Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you like violence? Uh, in, in my personal life? Oh, but like, <laughs> no, but as a, as a writer, like you... <clears throat> You feel more, you just feel comfortable in that. No, there's world. something about it that's that's primal and interesting that gets you to places. Um, I one of the things I, I I love it. It's with history of violence. We have I think two minutes of violence in the whole film. Yep. But people assume uh, we had a lot of trouble getting women into the theaters because of that. But I judiciously used. Yes, I do. Who's the old um, noir writer? Geddes. Yeah, David Geddes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like his work? Uh, yeah, yeah. I haven't read him in a long time. What's the uh, like the burglar? And the, yeah, yeah, goodness, yeah. Goodness, sorry. Goodness, yeah. Smack me in the face. The burglar, because yeah. somebody was yeah. like telling me that I should option that. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, there's a um, God, there's a movie. Yeah, there was a movie with um, Dan Duryea. Exactly. Yeah. But so what about like adapting or modernizing movies like that? What do you think about that? Oh, that's fun. That is fun. I definitely enjoy that stuff. I mean, film noir is. We just got to remember there are cell phones now. Yeah. So by the way, can we talk and we do two minutes on the death of cinema via cell phone? And I don't mean people watching them. It is the most infuriating aspect of any story you want to tell now is, is, is cell phones. It's you have to come up with ways to get around freaking cell phones. Oh, no, no service out here. <laughs> oh my God. That, that is, yeah. What's the Harrison Ford movie with uh, Michelle? Um, uh, what lies beneath? I remember there's a scene 10 minutes of the movie. They're driving across a bridge and she's in the car and it's looped in. And it's like, gosh, darn it. The signal always goes out just as I cross this bridge. And I'm like, guess who's getting attacked by a maniac on the bridge in the third act. <laughs> okay. The little Quibi thing made yeah. for phones. Yes. So with Quibi, they, you take them your script and break it into 12, 10 minute chapters. An existing right? script. Right. So I read the script the first five times without any episode breaks. They're like, oh, do you want to read the Quibi version? I'm like, okay. And it was just every nine minutes, something happened. You have to kind of customize it. Right. Plane crash, girl who wants to kill herself on the plane, plane bumps, pills go over the place, plane crashes. She and one other kid live. So she has to survive. So the girl who wants to die has to learn how to survive. And the first thing we said is, boy, their phones get destroyed. Yeah. Because like, have just, to. We're going to, because they're like, well, should one of the phones be, and maybe they use that as a torch. I'm like, they're, they're out. They're gone. Yeah. They can't find them. They're disappeared. Let's just wipe that off the table. And it was so I mean, what, freeing. What, what would the history of storytelling be like? What would Edgar Allan Poe or Charles oh, Dickens be God. like if you could have a cell phone? You know, it's just, it, it's, it's, it, that's, the difference. Imagine between, the telltale heart if the guy behind the wall had a cell phone. We're now, you know, this is the future. We're in the future. We're <laughs> yeah, living yeah, in the future. But I, I just saw like, I don't know, when, before I went away to Europe, like, I saw like three movies in a row. It was like that dopey one with Adam Devine that was like, looked like the stupid version of her where he's having a relationship with his. Um, oh, right. Yeah. No, yeah. no. God, I would not. X I, I, right. Yeah. You, Simone. Something. Yes. I'm just trying to think of all the female nah, robots. I don't know. Movies, call it, call no. it, call it, axe or something. Yes. Like, if you, like, but it was like I'm looking at. It, then there was another trailer. It was like half. It was like people on their phones, and yeah. and and you're just like garbage. So if they're writing these scripts, right? I mean, look, her was a brilliant film about yeah. technology and our reliance. Or you and, can do uh, what's the there was a God. This is this is we do this every week. We can't remember the things. The John Cho movie. That's right. entirely searching. searching. Yeah. yeah. So this is what entirely here, seen on your computer uh, screen, on a computer screen. But here, here, okay, here's what's interesting, <clears throat> the Quibi thing that's interesting. Yeah. So you have a vertical, you have a horizontal frame and a vertical. Oh, frame. right. You have to shoot for both. Right. Right. No, you know, no. Nope. Oh, okay. Sure. Like you shoot for both. No, because <laughs> no, so our okay. movie in the mountains, we shot two to one, right? So right. Big from, and then you have to make the vertical version. That's what I'm saying. Right. So, I just said so that. In retrospect, yes, you have to shoot. Sh- you, 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 what you'd have to do, you'd have to shoot it square to protect the movie. But right. do you really want to go shoot in the Alps because you're making the movie? So at this point, you have to. You're selling the thing internationally as a film, correct? So you right. have to have at least one eight five. Right. So when you go like that. It's great for talking heads. 
but it gets compromised unless you're right. really going to get into split screens. Yeah. Why can't really, you? Well, why can't you just turn the phone on its side and watch it? And well, you can. No, you can. But That's you also have, you have the technology from... when you go like that because a lot of people, more people, watch their things like this. Well, fuck they, them. <laughs> but they traditionally have been watching it with just like this. Well, I'm so, so sorry. So for the record, Adam and Devine, them, Harrison them, Ford, not coming to the show. Join the world. So here it is. No, here's this is an interesting idea. So now you can tell a story. Soderbergh's producing one for these young guys that Ty Sheridan is in, right? One, the horizontal story is about a guy, his cell phone's dying, and he's trying to make these calls. This version is what the other people are on the other line. It's two different movies. Also, oh, when you flip it, it when you flip it, it becomes to... who he's talking to. It's oh, one, wow. it's one locked audio track. So now the technology, they haven't figured out for it to be because it'd be two different movies. So the audio track's the same. So you have to cut. And our thing, you cut this version. So you have to do the vertical version, and you tell the editor, "Great, you don't frame. We didn't frame two, three, five. Put people way on the left of frame because you know you don't want to make it a horrible, horrible." experience but we knew i shot for the movie talked to antoine fuqua who i knew before he shot when he goes screw the screw it do you know what i mean like you gotta go as a filmmaker for what the big picture is and you know and in a very talking head kind of movie the it's acceptable but if you're getting the big drone helicopter shots you just you have to accept the compromise but that is unfortunately now, unfortunately, that's how many, many people are seeing. I just hope that they watch it horizontally. I would love to. If somebody said, go shoot a movie vertically and shoot it that way, that'd be a great challenge. Go yeah. shoot a movie in a city. Fantastic. But they had you to do doing scenes indoors. Like, both. Wow. Yeah. So you, they're not giving you double the budget or double the editing time. Right. right? Double the work. <laughs> yeah. Double, but, double but it's the product. A new, look, it's a new. It's is it a new business model? I saw a lot of commercials for Netflix a lot movies. of commercials for these on uh, just over people the last watch week. Netflix yeah. movies. People watch movies on their phone all the time, yeah. right? I mean, just great. Do you want to watch it on your phone or do you want to go to the theater? So we, we you can't fight it, right? But so you, so if you, I still tell stories. I've been making music videos for thirty years. Yeah, yeah. Right? and I remember eight years ago I wanted to do a quad four way split, and I. Uh, if you do it on the phone, it's going to be too much. People aren't going to be able to follow it on the phone. I don't know. So what are you what making that's it a, for? That's one of the things I love about Soderbergh is his eagerness to kind of play around. I mean, I loved Mosaic. I watched it on <laughs> the app, the eight-hour yeah. version that you would yeah. thread your way through instead of the – Great. And it sounds – yeah, that's exactly the pic, what Do you see the picture when he did um, – what was it? The uh, – um, the one that the Moonlight writer wrote about the basketball thing with – Oh, Andre yeah, yeah, yeah. High Flying Bird. Right. Do you see the picture of him? The production still of him? Yeah, with a this on the tripod, and he's sitting yes, on his an iPhone device. on a tripod. Yep, yep, um, yeah. Or you wanted to talk to him about Sean Baker? Talk about shooting photos on an iPhone. That was Tangerine's an amazing because it's just so free. Because he yeah. said, I remember just like you have to make the movie. You have to make the movie by hook or by crook. So what is that? At that time, that's the technology. I shot a movie. In 2010 on the 5d cost 600 grand to get in the can up in big sur just don't make a movie about four guys that kill themselves that's got limited commercial appeal <laughs> i was like i wanted to make it got the actors in a month we shot it looks beautiful put the camera on 
on helicopters, car mounts. It would take 10 minutes instead of two hours. That's so much better than taking two hours on a fucking process trailer. I mean, like, and they really get the same angle all of it. And that's a waste of that's process trailers are garbage. I mean, how many great, great, stick it here, stick it here, stick it here, have the camera come along, go watch, what's that movie, The Raid? Like, you just see the making of, like, the way Greengrass does it. Like, I remember I did a pilot one time and would listen to Greengrass's DVD commentaries, and then the stunt coordinator says, you got to watch a um, South Korean movie called The The Suspect. Like, makes Greengrass look like, like, (laughs) static like everything's on sticks yeah Yeah. like peter greenaway (laughs) and just like this thing was the most radical super inspiring you know just like great like it was relentless it was reckless extras they must pay him five cents a day just like people getting mowed over by cars great bring in bring in a thousand more so i don't like that stuff like that inspires me you know and, and i learned in that one how you have to keep in a thriller you have to keep the relentless tone with the camera operators and the actors, if you think like, oh, it's a harrowing, tense thing. I mean, you have to beat them up on the shoot, right? You have to like keep moving, keep moving. And like that only came from experience and some stuff that Greengrass said. He goes, you have to like, you know, the operators, yeah, let's just, because everybody will get lazy. The the, the actors will be like, okay, you know, especially in TV, you know, you got to just fucking crack the whip in order for it to feel scary. So you, you you listen to commentaries of, of filmmakers you like on all on, the time. Yeah, fantastic. All the time. Like I feel like that was kind of a film school and like Fincher, you know, who I know, I know David, but he's still like just just such a fucking master and just like where he puts the camera, you're just like, God, and then I just went down and saw him shoot Mank. Because my friend who did my, who he hired for Mind Hunters is shooting it. Mm. Sit there and like pick Eric Roth's brain. I was writing the script. It's like, but you sit there and David's just like, like giving Gary Oldman direction. That's who you see in like third take thirty, take thirty one. Just like, and it's just like, and he, but he's he's looking at the take and he's like, God, I can't fucking like yelling at the operators, yelling at like, I fuck can that guy fucking pull focus, and you just realize it's like. The same frustration. You're just trying to get the shot. Oldman would go over, say something, and you'd see, like, I wonder what to. And I couldn't follow him over and really, because that's where you really want to learn. Right, the, the whispers. Yeah, what <laughs> What does he say? What does he say to Gary Oldman to get, like, something different? And I said, doesn't Gary Oldman get tired after 30 takes? I mean, and he goes, no. So that's what I wanted to know. Like, how can an actor not just feel, like, a little bit, worn after doing that many right that many takes well i'm it's almost nice to be able to have that time to do it right i mean if yeah. you were like if you're kubrick you get away with it yeah. yeah but kubrick also worked with a really small crew right smaller crew more days how can you do that i think if you design it the right way mm-hmm. i love and i do this a lot of times in commercials and i've just started doing it more and move i just walk into real locations and don't touch it i don't want to come into like a recording studio for guys doing a here it is done right like, how little do i have to do to a place and because it's never gonna look as good you empty the place and bring in the shelves no that maybe another movie is a totally different experience but you know when you go see sets of, like i did a pilot one time with mark friedberg like just, he just did joker i mean incredible production designer you know what i mean just, i love 
when you see production designers get to do their thing. But as long as you know you can do it, the worst is when you have that champagne taste and you got you who money yeah. and like <laughs> pulling your exactly. fucking hair out, right? Exactly. Like, so I think that's probably what I've learned is like, just know what the budget is and the budget is the aesthetic. That's what my old friend Ted Hope said. You know, like they made those early on good machine made those movies just, but the thing I've learned in videos and commercials over the years, like I know it will look good. The last thing I'm worried about is it looking interesting because we know what we can do in color correction you can do it now on this. Right on your phone. But it's just like the page, and that's what I'm trying to get better at and smarter at is like not just just really make sure. I don't want to make another movie until it's like a slam dunk on the page. Not not a bad philosophy. What so get, um, we'll for, for some like of our- you to look at it. Hey, I, I think- uh, well, You will not read it, your fucking- yeah, you, you don't need read. You don't need writers <laughs> to read your- um, uh, Who should read- who should read your scripts to see if they're ready or not? Um, oh, yeah, your writer friends. Yes, I thought. But but once it's but if it's completely done and already you know there, Henry Bean. Um, I I I know of yes. My friend Henry Bean and and Larry Gross just wrote an incredible TV show. Larry wrote a script, rewrote a script for me that I've been trying to get made for twenty years. That I hired Paul Schrader to do the first draft of years ago, and Paul. Paul didn't really deliver. Paul gave me a 70-page first draft and said, this thing is so in your head, I'm only going to give this to you as a working document. And I was like, okay, that's, that's fine. But, like, I don't know. I, I send Larry and uh, different writer friends my scripts that I want to make, and they're pretty – it's good because they're really brutal. They do not. Yeah, no, that, they, that's an essential you know, thing. You're, you you're getting ready to shoot, and they're like, ah, oh, this needs a lot of work. You're like, oh, we're shooting in um, <laughs> yeah. two weeks. Yes, you need people who will be harsh. Um, or or if, you know, just fair. But so fair. who are some of the, because, uh, you know, I think some of our listeners are, are, you know, struggling or aspiring or chugging along their way to becoming filmmakers. Um, and there's an awful lot of these out there. Like, who are some of your, some of the commentary tracks you've heard that you found most, if you can... Think of a few of those. <laughs> you mean when they used to make DVDs with commentary? Yeah, tracks? well, they still, they're still, yeah, they still do. Yeah. I mean, for me, I don't know if it was. Uh, not, as, not as much or not in art house movies, they don't automatically. But even, them. even all the, like One False Move with Carl Franklin to me was like 90 minutes of film school. Okay. It's an incredible commentary, but, but, you know, I'm a screenwriter. You're, you're a director. Like who is. <laughs> Ridley Scott. Yeah. Um, Ridley Scott. I think I've watched his commentary on. Almost all of his movies. I mean, especially like a movie like The Counselor, which people like bash, but I loved that fucking movie. I thought that movie was like yes. amazing. Okay, let's let's slow down here for a minute because we are we are we very few of us on the planet, and when we find each other, <laughs> you know. What now, I which do you prefer, the director's cut or the theatrical cut? Oh God, I only saw the director's cut. I never saw the theatrical. Uh, okay, because because I um uh the director's cut is funnier. You're in the you're in the movie theater, and there's a sort of question of like, do they know what's going on right. here? And then you see the director's cut, and it's like, oh, they they know what's going on here. He's just kind of so like he's such he's so risky. And Tony Scott was, I mean, I loved yeah. Tony Scott. Yeah. And also, you look like give him down, give him a dog, give him a kind of flimsy script. He'll do his shit, and he'll be like, all right, or Unstoppable or Domino, but give him Man on Fire. Like, so you give him a great script. Incredible. Yeah. He's great yeah. with it. And he, he casts it well and he does his thing. 
So the Scott brothers, I really, I don't know, just as shooters, I really like them. And Bud Ridley gets into it on the commentaries. He gets into the, like, the yeah, how yeah. And it's like, he's teaching you. Greengrass was the same way where some people like, like I was just, was listening. That wasn't on a commentary track, but like Noah Baumbach was talking about the prelude that he wrote. Cause probably I'm trying to write more, have the confidence to write more. So it's really like trying to listen to writers. And I was in Jerry Maguire years ago. So Cameron Crowe's been a big, been a real friend. And I called him yesterday and I said, can I get your advice about this music-based project that I want to write? And he's like, you got to write it. You got, And it really came down to like something personal. What's your personal connection to this music? And then there you go on the Oscars and it's like the more personal, the better. And that was a very, that was a very profound comment. You know what I mean? Just Bam. like, okay, trust that instinct. Bam. Bam. You know what I mean? My best videos have been personal. The best stuff is you can find yourself in it and even if it's an invisible allegory, it's in there and you know what the story is that you're telling. Good, bad, or indifferent, right? right, right. So like people's failures, I think are like that movie was considered a failure for Ridley Scott. It's like that's are huge failures <laughs> are like I think it's like interesting. It's probably my favorite Ridley Scott film since I don't know, Thelma Louise. Um <laughs> Well, don't you have a, a commentary on uh, speaking of failures uh, on counselor on the Oscar? Oh, yeah. No, I do. Yes. The 1966 <laughs> version of the Oscar. Oh, I don't know that. A legendary bad film. A legendary bad okay. film uh, written by my dear friend, the late lamented Harlan Ellison. Um, okay. It was his his one big screenplay credit. Uh, did a lot of great TV. And yeah, we recently did Kino, just did a- It's just come out. Gorgeous Blu-ray of it. And they did a commentary track with uh, myself- um, Patton Oswalt and uh, Eric oh. Nelson, who directed the documentary about Harlan. And we okay. basically sit there with Harlan's wife in the room watching and laughing. And we drink and we bounce back and forth between making fun of the movie and actually discussing uh, his 300-page screenplay and how well or badly it translated to film. But, um, I, you know, there's I, I like to think there's a few tidbits for writers in that. Mostly it's oh, just I us think so. drinking and laughing. Did you ever read The Movie Goer? Walker person. Oh, the Walker yeah, person. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. Because I was just reading about that and I just ordered the book. Oh, no, you'll like it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I read that Malik tried to make it in the 80s. It's been it's been one of those Many legendary, hands. won't make, won't, we, 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 I can make a movie out of it. Like the Dice they, Man? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the one Dice of those, Man, yes. One of those things that people think they can do and then they discover it's harder than they thought. Yeah. Yep. I was just, I was just reading a review of the D. Reese at a, she did the Joan Didion thing. I was reading some like big New York Times thing about her and like I just I guess she got creamed by critics, like we've all been creamed by critics at Sundance, but they're just how difficult it is to adapt Joan Didion. Mm. Yeah. I adapt my first movie was adapted from a book by a guy named Dan Wakefield called Going All the Way, which was like a Midwestern catcher in the ride. Set in nineteen fifty four. Right. Um Big, like, very popular book in the 70s. Ben Affleck, Jeremy Davies, Rachel Weisz, Rose McGowan. And, like, will never touch the the beauty and the interior, the in, the interior nature of the novel. You it's, know, like, yeah, and that's, but that's true. Of so that's, that's the catcher on the rye thing, you know? I mean, yeah. it's not just that he didn't want people to make it. Yep. But he knew what it would be like if they did. Yeah. Some things need to be books. Have things? Have you think there's been a successful adaptation of a of a, of a, a difficult book? book? Of a difficult book. 
I think being there is pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I read it. the book, I thought, gee, this is so slight. How are they going to make a whole movie out of this? So maybe yeah. it's finding the the slight ones. Well, maybe, you know, short stories make great Short pictures. stories for sure. Uh, yeah. Under the Volcano worked. Yeah. I mean, that was... Uh, Is that uh, Shanley? Uh, uh, Under the I Volcano? Houston, I don't think so. Houston did it. Oh, okay. I mean, he directed it. Yeah, I think he adapted it as well. Um, oh, Joe and the Volcano was... Yeah. Joe versus the Volcano, yeah. yes. Which, yeah. is, a, which I, is a very strange and interesting movie. Yes. Uh, yeah. with, with several different endings, most of which were never seen by the audience. He was, he was, he was attached. I was trying to get this... This book, I got to spend some time with him. And he was attached. Was we were trying to go sell him to write the screenplay of a book by the woman who had written Pay It Forward. Mm-hmm. It was oh. her follow-up novel called Electric God. Great title. Nick Cage was attached. Couldn't get arrested. It was it was as these like Cider House Rule. It was after Cider House Rules, but it was like the shipping news and a few of these big literary things were just. Well, with those two titles, Not, those two titles. I mean, how are you going to sell those pictures? You know, the Cider House like, Rules and the Shipping News. Cider House Rules. <laughs> if you don't already know, it's a big book, and then nobody's yes. going to go. Cider House Rules was successful, but Shipping News wasn't. And there was like a few other right after it, where like these big books that just were like, yeah. Mm. My agents were always after me to like. I don't know. So any, I don't. I can't think of any more commentaries. Like, um, I have to. Go no, I don't think I look through my DVD. Yeah, I didn't even. I, I need to listen to Ridley Scott's on the counselor because I'm I'm sort of obsessed with that film. And he's just he keeps going. He just keeps keeps going. He's pretty prolific. He doesn't he doesn't stop, you know. And I love the balls of him when he reached when he put Plummer in, and they're like, "Oh, what's what's going on?" And he's like, and "He did about a week or something, it. right?" That was. He's like, let's go. That was that was a, so a, a, a decision. He goes, yeah, yeah, I'll show you. I can fucking do it. I'm gonna go shoot it. and I'm gonna mix it. And I got my team and I got my guys. And yeah, we know how to do it. I, I just love that kind of like can do attitude. You know? I, I wonder how motivated he'd have been to do that if Pl- Plumber was his first choice, right? Yeah, and the, yeah. Like if so, it was your opportunity. But he wasn't available, right? But I mean, imagine. And, and then it's like, oh, now I have to get rid of this other guy. Yeah. Uh, who from the trailer? looks like he was miscast anyway yeah uh so it's it, it was a win-win for the movie i'm saying i feel like he was highly motivated in that situation in a way that yeah. maybe if he had loved kevin spacey in the film and had been his first choice he might not have been able to well, back it even, out the even the even the makeup doesn't work yeah you know yeah i remember i, mean, it was, I just remember yeah. seeing the trailer and going oh no well, I, didn't, I didn't love the film i didn't love the film i didn't get to see danny boyle's uh limited series oh I, it was it was pretty interesting i, yeah. I liked it better than the film it, it had its problems but uh sutherland is absolutely incredible oh, as hearst God. yes i'd love to work <laughs> with him yeah i worked with alan bates on a movie and like wow. you know just like there's just these guys like sutherland who's like you know you don't have to tell him much right <laughs> <laughs> have you read the script yeah like, okay would you like to do another one would you what happens when you get up to 31? Yeah. <laughs> but they all, I don't know. Do they want to be directed? Do all actors want to be directed? Or do all just want to be like, come in and do it? And All actors are different. And all situations are different. Yeah. And there is that thing. I mean, I've, I've been forming, you know, every writer has, hopefully, achieved a certain level. But, but that moment when a great actor takes something that, You've never told anybody on the project you know isn't quite there, 
and then just knocks it out of the park and you're standing there going, holy shit, this is good. Who wrote it? And you're like, oh my God, that's my <laughs> terrible monologue. That's very, <laughs> you know, just, that's very, that is the greatest that. feeling in the world. I think it's I just a, did this little short with Alfie Allen from Game of Thrones and this young ingenue. It was like a calculated thing. Like I want to do this short, but maybe somebody will see it if you put some young names in it. And I had Peter Bogdanovich do a cameo. That's just kind of, and so I'm, he's reading some of my voiceover stuff, and I'm like, oh my god, he's gonna tell me, like, if it sucks or not. And he would read one thing, he goes, yeah, that's, that's okay. Like it was really good. It was really good to have his critical eye, his critical anyway. But just like, oh, what a great voice, what a great, great present. He added a great like spi- yeah. spice to it. Yeah, that's that's that extra thing. Can't and then, control. so I had some other stuff to do for it, and I found this voiceover guy. This, this actor, and he's had this incredible voice, like the most incredible, mm-hmm. gravelly sci-fi. And so I'm also he's reading my thing, and I'm like, wow, he he made it work, yeah. you know. Whereas like I would read it, or somebody else would. The guy before had read it, and I'm like, God, that's such a fucking horrible writing, or just. <laughs> terrible pretentious shit and then the other guy's like i don't know so do you find that like people that same thing like is it is it the words or is it the mouthpiece oh no it's it's i'm talking about like when the performance comes in and they find something they find the shape of it that you were chasing after and couldn't find or they bring something to it entirely new that you go oh thank god there was nothing you know it's um because everything suggests something different to somebody else. Yeah, Philip um, Baker Hall and Shirley yeah, on this talking movie about a great did. voice. Yeah, they they did that and they took some of those on the and I found and it was also happened on this last thing I just did. It was all deletion, 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 deletion. It was like how much could they strip it down? Oh, that's fun too. You know, and yeah. one of them was a little overwritten. The, 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 the Quibi one was like, it was a YA thing, but the people are older and like, they're on a plane. I'm like, they're not going to talk that much. They just, their plane just crashed. They're traumatized. <laughs> they would not be talking this much, but which was really good. Cause it was very reductive and it really helped you just boil yeah. it down to. Well, I will, I will the basics. tell the story and leave a name out. Cause he works and I know it is lovely fun, but, but one of my early straight to video films was an actor who, uh, the lead had originally been designed for somebody older and a good, you know, a much more solid actor. This is a young guy. And, and it was like, how do we tell him that I'm going to slash a whole bunch of his lines without getting upset? And I found the the great, um, you tell him about Clint Eastwood on uh fistful of dollars. It's like, you know why Clint's a movie star? I'm like, well, well, I mean, he's like, no, he's a movie star because that initial script was what, 180 pages or something. And Clint went through and slashed 90% of his lines. Cause he knew it was about his presence and you tell them that and they go, Oh, I go, now I'm going to go cut 90% of your lines. And they're like, oh, fantastic. <laughs> Cause That's I think at the good. end of the day, even today with all the, everybody still wants to be Clint Eastwood. Yeah. But you want voices. Have you, do you, have you heard Walters? Uh, Walter Hill has just ventured into the world of audio. Um, mm. not, not on this show yet. Goddamn, I am still working on getting him. And he wrote, this, this lovely, I don't even know how to describe it, sort of a tone poem. It's called Cowboy Iliad. Um, I think you can get it on CD. I know you can get it on things like iTunes and so forth. And it's him telling this great story about a cowboy shootout in the Old West. And Walter, who's got one of the great, like, Old West voices, narrates it. 
and you're just listening to it and you're like, oh my God, this is phenomenal. And you know, if it was me reading it or something like that, you go, oh, that's okay. But, but coming from Walter's kind of gravelly old. Has he been on your show? Uh, we, we are, we are, I, I've been nagging him for about three years. It's only the second season. He's good friends with Larry. We're in our third season. He and Larry Gross are good friends. Uh, oh no, he's a really good, we have the same birthday and, um, which always thrilled me as a kid. Because uh, he was one of my favorite filmmakers, and cut two years later, we worked on a thing together that didn't happen. And now every year on our mutual birthday, you'll find us at Musso and Frank's, where I'm usually spending ten minutes nagging him to come on the show. Which I swear he will. I swear he will. A great voice is everything. I think it's um, absolutely. And as much as we bag on the dearth of of those things, you know, you talk about like Cagney, and you know, you hear him, and you know, it's Cagney. I actually heard somebody do a Brad Pitt impression the other day that just changed my entire perspective of Brad Pitt. Because you knew 10 seconds into it that it was Brad Pitt. And you never think of Brad Pitt as having one of those distinct voices. Did you like Ad Astra? Um, I'll say yes, even though I haven't actually seen it yet. I'm sure I will. Did you see it? I haven't seen it, no, but I don't, oh my I don't feel the need to lie about it. <laughs> I don't I know. We do a show about movies. Don't worry, James, the business. James Gray won't yell at you. I, I'm, I like James Gray a great deal. I yeah. just have for now. Why didn't they send screeners out? Let's get inside baseball. Why were there no Ad Astra screeners? Really good to see on a big screen. Yeah. 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 Okay. Title. Very meditative. Uh, mm. Very meditative. Title? Title? Ad Astra? Oh, oh yeah. It's, it's, yeah. What's, was it Sam Markoff with Suicide Kings? What was his great line? He's like, he's like, you can't use that title. No one's going to go see it. <laughs> it wasn't Suicide Kings. Was it Suicide Kings? No, that's not a real story. That's not a real movie. No, it's a real movie. Not a Markoff movie. No, no, it was just he commented on it. You oh, say, oh. That, that movie's not going to make any money because of the title. That alone. So who's just, making all the movies now that the studios aren't making anymore? I make ten a year. I there's a billion of them on my. Uh, well, you my are Apple apparently, TV. and you are yeah. You just, yeah. <laughs> I've never made a Netflix movie. My movies like do terror like I'm not in the algorithm. Sooner uh, or later, like you kill the hero, go on, they kill themselves. We're all gonna be working for Netflix. Yeah, I'm I'm doing one right now. So to stream, <laughs> but my my friends who have made them said they totally leave you alone. Yep. They do, but apparently the process of getting it made is 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 pretty rigorous and mm. going up the ladder and making sure that everything's okay. Once once it's okay and greenlit, they they tend to leave you alone. But mm. the process of getting there is not easy. They don't yeah. just like here here's some money, boy. Want to well, make a movie and I'll come back. give my lament for the death of physical media and you know just like I just can't go to meetings without like okay here's my USB. Here's my reel. Here's my fake. You know, it's just like, it's at least something I can still physically, like, I can't, like, sending links, I feel just like it's very, you know, and I know I'm I'm pissing against the wind, but, like, it's just, you know, it's very frustrating. I used to love making DVDs and, you know, custom reels, and it's somebody to, you know, I don't, I'm not sure they're going to watch a link, you know, you don't. Yeah, I miss physical media. Although I still, I mean, they still make it. They still make but, physical media. And then you got to hold on, hold on to it because when Disney takes it all out of circulation, puts it, it in the vault, you really you're have to come It back relies to you. on your team. Like, say, with this new thing that I just made, the, like, to get your team to set up screening. I mean, you want people to see your work. The bottom line is this. So you want to do a movie that's in theaters for two weekends. It's very frustrating and gets shit distribution around the world. So, like, how do you get your... Uh, you know, Netflix, they, I can see jumping on that train, millions and millions of people get to see your story. 
Yeah. You know, so. But they can't put it in their library. Yeah. Um, Mark, I'm got, we've got a couple minutes left. I'm going to put it to you. Give us, we have a bunch of audience members, I think even two people in the Maldives uh, right now. Maldives. I don't know. I look Hello, at the Maldives. Yeah, I, I've never been, but there's two people in the Maldives. <laughs> Good morning, Maldives. Uh, <laughs> you're, you, you have, you have give, us, give us a movie that you love that not, that you wish more people knew about that, that, that isn't yours. That isn't yours. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> a movie that I love that, that I wish plug- more people knew about. Okay. Wait, it's not, it's not high cinema. You're not going to be judged. Doesn't matter. It's not about okay. you. It's about a movie that it's- Jake Kasdan did called the TV set, which is a parody it's the player yes. Yes. for TV yeah, pilots. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it is the funniest, most brilliant skewering of the mindset of the creation of a TV pilot. Sigourney Weaver plays a Nina Tassler, who was a big CBS executive, wonderful woman. But like, it is just the most brilliant across the board from the AD. We lose the kid in an hour. Like everything, casting process, the entire, and nobody knows about that movie. Nobody's I, heard it's of like, it. It's, yeah, do you remember this? I, I do give remember. It to every creator of a TV pilot, yeah. like last year I did one and I said, have you ever seen them? They're like, no. And I give it to him and it consistently depresses the shit out of the, <laughs> the showrunner. Like, Oh my! It's just David Duchovny plays. I think yes. it's like you know, a Judd Apatow kind I of figure who's just yeah. destroyed yeah. and sees his his personal story about his brother That's committing suicide, right. becoming this tragic comedy, and sees it just get watered down. And Sigourney Weaver saying, "So the brother's suicide? Does he have to kill himself?" <laughs> Because suicide has been proven to be a bummer for like sixty four percent of the people. Suicide kings. Yeah, so it's like we're back to that. So, so and by the way, that's where, just where, that would, where would song. one find that? Uh, you can find it's that on Amazon. Uh, funnily enough, uh, does not seem to does not seem to be physical media, but you can find it streaming on Amazon. Prime. There you are. Okay, but that's new <laughs> All because roads even lead like to yeah, Amazon. Prime. It was like yes. that was one of those things that people would be like, I can't find. I remember it. I can't that find movie. It. My God, it's it's two thousand and six. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. But it was even like I would buy. I would. Order it and buy it and give it to the people. Yeah. And then drive around. In it the might cr- be, if you go on Amazon, you might be able to. You might be still be able to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it a theatrical feature? I feel it was a cable movie. I thought it was a cable movie. Wasn't it? No, it was a theatrical. Was it theatrical? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean. Yeah, it's very funny. Very funny. Yeah, very funny. So like, that's that's just one that pops well, that's fantastic. Up. No, that's, well, that's, that's good. That's if you year, said seventh seal, would have thrown year, you the In window. the Maldives. <laughs> yes. For those people in the Maldives that are coming and wanting to work in the world of television. <laughs> You know, it's a very ripe, I don't know, like, you know. Talking to you, Slovak. Yeah, Slovak. Television in the Maldives, needs to make that new, like, woke (laughs) culture satire, you know, really just, like, get inside of it and freaking rip it apart and, you know, and really just kind of take the, take it, take the dig at the. It it will, it will uh, not. It will emerge. It will not be one of us. (laughs) No, it will not be. It will not be. Unless unless we're on the way out the door. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Mark, thank thank you you so much for coming on. That was a blast. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Oh, my God. Yes, on the way out the door. (laughs) Our show was recorded in beautiful downtown Burbank. The official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.